Good morning, Sarah Heffala. Good morning, Nancy Rommelman. Don't look now, but it's 2023. I know it is. Hey, is this our first recording of 2023? Yeah. Well, hold on a second. It kind of is because you stepped in yesterday yeah. and, and just kind of dropped it. Like I, I was busy. I was off running in the rain and I got back and you're like, hey, Nancy, I just did this awesome thing. Well, you didn't say awesome thing. You said I did this thing and uh, it's up there. And then I listened to it um, while I was in the bathtub and I loved it. So you want to maybe tell people a little bit about what if they didn't hear it yet? Yeah, I did a smoking diary. Um, I, I started doing these things a while ago. Um, they were like little rambles that I did while I was having my morning cigarettes. Um, and I started it several, like when we first started the podcast and then I stopped doing them in part because I stopped smoking. Um, but I picked up smoking (laughs) again. Just for the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) What can I do? How can I do smoking diaries if I'm not smoking? Look, it's complicated and it's a, you know, anyway, um, but I was out there, I've been waking up super early and I was out there at like 4 a.m. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a smoking diary about New Year's resolutions because um, I had a lot on my mind about that topic. And uh, I know you and I are going to talk about it again, I think, in the bonus portion of this it, episode. Exactly. We're going to dig into some, uh, I don't think it's so much resolution stuff so much as sort of life, walking through life stuff, uh, and some personal stuff. So we'll do that. We'll do that in the bonus. Um, I want to take a moment to, um, you know, we were kind of cutting up the bonus a little more and it's paywall. Now I want to say a fantastically huge thank you to all the people that are like, I did these checks. I want to sign up and be a paid subscriber. Cause it's been really great for the past couple of weeks. And believe me, we, we notice it and we're very, very grateful and it's super fun. We've had a lot of new paid subscribers and they do always say, I dig these chicks. That's always what they say. There's a little note that comes to our inbox and it says, I dig these chicks. And we, we, we may have actually put that note in there and we just say, just check this and, you know, so that we know, so that we know that you're digging us, but um, we do. By the way, it was in the bonus part of the episode that we discussed wanting to change our tagline. I mean, when I say we, I mean me. I want to change our tagline, which is currently two journo babes on what's burning through the culture right now. And I think we're better than that. And I would like to open up, you know, a conversation to anybody that's listening that might not be a, a, a paid subscriber. We still love you. It's okay. I've done it too. I've been a freeloader. I know what that world is like. But you can email <laughs> us your suggestions. Yep. At yep. Smoke em, what the hell is our email? Smokeempod? Smokeempodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, that's and they can enough. also they can also go through the Substack. I think there's ways to do that a little more kind of circuitous, but I but we get them, I think, or oh, they can post them. them. We or you can post them on our um on our uh, on the comment section. So um yeah, we'll take suggestions. That's, that's subscribers only. Oh yeah, it used, well that's how. So there Paid you go. Subscribe. You it, have it, to pay to play. It's pay it, to play around here. That's right. To play with us. Now that's another reason to subscribe, so you can give us all your really good ideas. I would like to just ask Sarah if you've noticed that I've upped my um, presentation game with uh, the podcast. Do you see how I'm so symmetrical and the nice light shining in the background? Did you notice that? No. Okay. Next. Um, okay. You know what I wanted to talk about before we get cooking? Yes, ma'am. I wanted to talk about your amazing piece on Portland and oh. that woman that whose whose death you wrote about with such depth and intelligence 
and rigor. And it was just beautiful. This was a piece that came out in the Washington Examiner recently. And um, can you tell us about it a little bit? You know what? I That's so weird that I totally spaced that we might talk about this. But yes, I would love to. So I'm going to probably take about three or four minutes of your time. So what happened was uh, something I think like August 28th or 29th, I woke up uh, to a text from Michael Moynihan, fifth column uh, guy, previously of Vice News, actually will be recording in the studio tonight, the fifth column guys. Um, and it was an item from, I think it was in the Oregonian, it could have been in a different local um, Portland press, about a woman um, that had been murdered. Uh, she'd been murdered with her children in the home. We actually, there weren't that many details yet, but she had been murdered by her previous boyfriend, the father of her two youngest children. And there wasn't a lot of details, but the one detail that was in there is that he had been arrested the week before and had been bailed out by a uh, private bail fund for Black, Brown, and Indigenous people for $2,000. And then he went and killed her. And now he was under arrest for murder. And I, you know, it's one of these stories. My my husband used to say to me, I know when you've got a story. It's like, I all of a sudden, that's like, ding, ding, ding. I got I to gotta yeah. follow this story. So I started doing that. And it turned out to be a... I mean, in a way, it's sort of a straight ahead story. Um, you have a, a justice system in Portland that there's the right hand knows what the left hand is doing, but undoes it or they've put new things in place. Anyway, this guy had been arrested four times over the summer. He um, had attacked her repeatedly. He had put a gun to her head. He had knelt on her windpipe and said, I'm going to put you to sleep now. He had said he was going to kill her. He had a GPS, which he ripped off and reattacked her. He um, had five counts of felony strangulation against him. And every single time he was arrested and taken in, he was let go for no bail. And it just it just kept happening. So that was that took a lot of digging into like why this happened. And then the last time they did impose $20,000 bail. And that means you have to put up a $2,000 bond. This fund came in and did it. And then he went and killed her. And it became a situation um, of everybody or not everybody, but the um, sort of governing bodies in Portland pointing the finger at each other. The DA, who's extremely progressive, Mike Schmidt, I've probably talked about him. I've written about him many, many, many times um, saying, look, we kept asking for bail and the judges wouldn't do it. And then the judges saying, well, we had assessors and they assessed him as like, okay to be let out. And it just kept going on. Even after this dude ripped off his GPS and they tracked, he's at her house attacking her and she's calling yeah again. And he's like, no, I was sleeping and someone took it off me. I don't know why. So it's just, it's just completely maddening and sorrowful. Um, so two things, number one, I would love it if you, uh, go and read the piece. It's up on the Washington Examiner site. We will of course have a link in the show notes. Um, but I also wrote a companion piece. Um, I have a Substack, uh, nancyrommelman.substack.com or make more pie is the official name of it. Um, and I wrote a companion piece that sort of explains how Portland finds itself where it is. Mm -hmm. And that's over on my Substack. If you want to read both of them, you're going to get a pretty good idea of how something like this happens, because that is the question every single person asks. It's like, how does this woman who he has said, I am going to kill you. The police yeah. know this. The judges have this in their notes that he is presents a high lethality factor and has said he is going to kill her. 
And then he follows through on exactly what he said he was going to do. Anyway, the of course, and I'm, I'm sorry to say this, and I'm not trying to be a real creep here, but it really didn't get a lot of press in Portland for two reasons. It did the first week. Of course, it did. However, Portland has just broken its murder record for the second year in a row. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's at, ni- at 96 or 98. It's hard. It's just depending on where you're looking at it and all this. And um, I actually have a little video we'll also put in the show notes. I was talking about it on a TV program a couple of days ago about nice. what that means. But here's what happens. The local press, I mean, some of them are institutionally disinclined to report on an issue where there's race involved. The murderer was a Somali immigrant. He was black. Oh, his victim was also black, by the way. Um, But um, they don't have the time. Sure. There have been 40 more, 38 more murders since she was murdered on August 27th. So I did have the time. It was a story I feel very strongly about. I think it's very, very important to report on. And I'm very grateful to Seth Mandel at the Washington Examiner for actually contacting me just kind of out of the blue. Like, I really want you to write for us. I'm like, well, actually, I'm writing this story now. What do you think? And and he wanted it. So thank you for bringing it up, Sarah. I, I totally spaced. I wouldn't have brought it up. Um, But, um, you know, we also, besides just being awesome and smoking uh, journal girls here, we also do, you know, we have outside work. And um, we'd love you to be a part of that and, and comment on it and, you know, send us your tips and, and all that stuff. It, it was, it's a tragic story, but it's beautifully rendered. And I wonder if you would do uh, the paid subscribers uh, a solid by reading that on audio for them. You know, I will do that. And I actually, I actually already did read it on audio, which I have only sent to you, Sarah Heppala. When I read it, I didn't have the title of it yet. And I wasn't actually sure I had the final copy, but I I think it was. It was the day or two before it came out. So I may redo it, just make it a little spiffier. And also there were a few little changes and have the title. Um, I will do that. Why don't I do that? I will do that. And I'm great because, you know, I got to listen to it on audio because Nancy sent me this scratch copy. And so, you know, I had been meaning to read it since you put it out, but I'd been running around. And I also was... I must admit, somewhat like trepidatious that I, it was just going to be very depressing. And, you know, but I, I because I knew how tragic the story was, I thought you handled it so deftly. Um, it's about 30 minutes and it was just you did a beautiful job reading it. Uh, the story is very visual, very, very visual, um, meaning uh, your, the writing of it is very visual. And so it's a great audio piece because I could really see what was being narrated. And I, you know, I just, I loved it. Thank you. I will do that. I don't know. I'll try to do it today actually. And then um, I will put it out as like a separate little episode and it will be unpaywalled. And so you guys can all, you guys can all listen to it. Oh, she's going to put it out unpaywalled. I think, I think so. You know why? I would just feel better about that. I mean, you know, you do your work, you get paid for your work, and that's great. And we're happy to get, you know, some scratch from doing this. But this is this woman's story. I feel very strongly, you know, as I said in the little video, I'll put a link in the show notes. You know, when I was on the ground and when we were all on the ground after George Floyd was killed, you know, we heard his name screamed. I personally heard his name screamed probably 5,000 times because I was out with the the activists and the protesters. Um, No one screamed her name. 
no one screamed her name. And she's just basically, you know, if she's remembered at all, it's it's murder victim number 60 in Portland for 2022. And I, I definitely don't think that's okay. I just don't feel right like saying, okay, so let me pay wallet so I can make a little more money here on this. You know what I mean? Well, that's I would make a different argument, which is that our paid subscribers get extra lawn yaps like that. And that's the some of the things that, that they get for being such wonderful supporters of our team. But I'm what not going to argue with you. What about did you it. call it? Lawn yaps? What's a yeah, lawn yap? What is that? Well, I think it's a French word and it means like extras. And you hear it a lot in New Orleans because they're like always it, dropping the French terms. Those Frenchies. I think I know how it's spelled. It's like L A N G I W L A G N L A G. Okay. N I A P P E, I think. Yeah. But I'm not okay. I'm not looking. So All it's right. Well, we'll we'll see. We'll see what how ha- we'll see if I pay wallet or not. But anyway, thank you for asking, Sarah, and thank you for and, listening. And Nancy, listeners, yeah, what? What is her name? Her name is Rachel Abraham, and it's spelled R A C H A E L. Um, she was thirty six years old, um, and I have to say, after the initial reports in Portland, of course, you know it was a it was news. Um, it just was it just disappeared from the radar after about three days, and the only. The only place that did anything about it, and this is in my piece, was uh, OPB, which is the um, Oregon Public Broadcasting. It's the NPR channel. And they did one interview with someone who's part of the private bail fund, and they did not even bring up her name until like mm. the very end. Like they nothing about her, just about the bail fund and whether it would continue its mission on and on and on. And then when they finally did in, in print, they misspelled her name. So sorry. I know um, that sounds picky, no. but come on. Come on. No, I mean, I think your point you know? about the whole mantra of say his name, say their name, you know, that's been one of the rallying cries of the Black Lives Matter movement. And we know the names of Breonna Taylor and Michael Brown and um, <clears throat> Eric Garner. And and um, and yet here is this figure, Rachel Adams. Abraham. That- it's okay. I'm sorry, Rachel. It's Rachel okay. Adams is an actress. I'm so sorry. That's okay. It's okay. But but yeah. And Rachel, by the way, she- Abraham. And, you know, who who died in this tragic way and the story is so compelling and um and and awful and and nobody knows who she is and i think you know our our job as journalists is to pay attention and to help others pay attention and you really did that with this story and so i want to thank you well Thank you. I think it's very what you just said. You know, sometimes we do talk about journalism on this story and we talk about it because I am I have the biggest crush on journalism and will for the rest of my life. I I knew it that I on my first party of one. And the first my first story out and I've talked about this before. Something happened and I was like that's it. I'm apt, I'm here forever and I'm still here forever and it is our job to see as clearly as we can. And that uh, sometimes takes some time. You will definitely get pushback. I'm getting some pushback about it uh, online about the piece and what they think my bias is, which I I find it kind of nutty, but okay. But anyway, I will get I will read that story and uh, we'll get it up here for you guys. So okay, Nancy. Yes, let's talk about Twitter. Oh, you mean the latest uh, the latest uh, Twitter tranche? Tr- well, oh, I wasn't even going to talk about the Twitter files, which keep tranching um <laughs> I, I was going to talk about the latest oh. kerfuffle the kerfuffle of lex yeah. friedman's book list the great controversy that launches 2023 is that a white man is going to read a list of books by other white men 
And I think there's some women. Him. There's there women. One on, woman. It was Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Were they all white authors? I didn't. I, that didn't uh, no, not all white, but it was majority. It um, was an intersectional disaster. Can I tell you that? So I, I'm going to let you talk. You know more about uh, yeah. uh, Lex Friedman than I do. But I will say, as I saw the original tweet, which we'll we'll put up here, of course, we'll link. It was like, I want to start the new year. I want to read a classic a week. All right. So a classic, you know, these books tend to be a little older. They're 1700s. They're 1800s. The reality is the books that we have made classics, for the most part, are probably by white Europeans. Does that make it correct or the best books? No, but that's what we have right now. And that was what he's choosing to do. And it's totally legit. If he wants to do that, you certainly don't have to read along. But the idea that I actually, I never waded into the hateful comments. All I saw was his sort of amused or maybe a little bit hurt, but also amused comment like, well, if you're going to get canceled for something, I guess, you know, putting up a book list is as good as any, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And he's, you know, Lex Fridman is not going to get canceled. Um, It's, but he did get dragged quite extravagantly. Tell us about it. If you don't know who he is, I only recently learned a few weeks ago because our uh, listener, Stephen Volnetz, shared a link to Lex's interview with Kanye. When Kanye was in his, like, massive meltdown mode, Lex had done an interview with him, and I found it pretty fascinating. Um, Lex is an MIT professor who is also, I believe, a researcher in AI, He's a pretty straight-laced looking guy. He wears like a suit and a tie. He looks like a Mormon in his podcast photo, you know? Um, He is also just a very generous, gentle listener. So the more I listened to him, the more I began to think of him as sort of like he has Joe Rogan's roving curiosity with Oprah Winfrey's empathic or, you know, strain. And, and so he's a really interesting combination. He does these very long interviews that have become very popular. And he's a smart guy. I mean, somebody, I think, I think somebody else described him to me as the smart Joe Rogan. I actually think Joe Rogan is smart. He's not academic and he's not intellectual, which is, which is different. Um, but anyway, um, Lex Friedman put up this book list, and I'll read you some of the books just so you know. Um, 1984, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Brave New World, On the Road, which, by the way, as soon as I saw On the Road, it was like the fourth title, and I was like, he's going down. Oh, interesting. He's going down because there's Jack Kerouac. It is such a trigger for a certain type. And, you know, when I grew up in a world where on the road was like celebrated and beloved, and then I emerged into a world where on the road was like the most embarrassing thing that you could love. There's actually there's actually a a a story that came out a while ago and they asked famous writers like what books you're most embarrassed to have loved. And the number one of all the books was on the road. How old were you when you read it? Do you think? Uh, Eleven. Oh wow, you were really young. I I don't think I read it till I was about twenty, and I didn't like it. I was like, I don't. Well, it's very rambly. I mean, you know the old Truman Capote line that like Kerouac wasn't writing; he was typing. 
Right, which is sort of true. Didn't he just type it on this one gigantically long scroll? That's the mythology of it, yeah, yeah that there's one endless scroll and he just keeps typing. Um, I always think of like Jack Kerouac as the original blogger, you know, like he, <laughs> yeah. he just he didn't edit. He just kept going. It's this beautiful stream of consciousness that like has moments of shimmering beauty and like terrible like you know, like, oh, my God, get through this. And it's repetitive. And you think it's on the road. It's going to be one trip across the country. No, it's like 10. Like, they just keep going yeah. and going. I'm not convinced I've ever made it all the way through that book because at some point they're in Mexico and they're doing drugs. And I'm like, I'm out of here. So I know also the Brothers Karamazov was on it. Oh, which um, I want to read. Yeah, I re I've never read that. I read half of it in high school and I have not I haven't gone back to it, but I certainly would. If you guys want to, we actually are going to talk about that. Maybe if we want to do a, like a one book a month kind of deal, I mean, you, you would set something like we should do. I was like, yeah, we could do books, but not one a week. I mean, there's no way I barely have time to do what we're doing now. The reason so, but, that this, the reason that this list caught my attention was because I am really deficient in the classics. Me too. And part of the reason is that I was an arrogant teenager who thought she was better than the reading list. And so I was like, I'm not going to read all this crap. I just kept reading my Stephen King books and, you know, I eked by, I mean, I, I did pretty well in school, but like, then you become an adult that's never read Animal Farm and it's like really embarrassing. Well, Sarah, we could do one classic a month. I mean, I, I could, I can do that and I would love to do that. And there's many, and let me just ask a question. Maybe one of our listeners will know, because of course I kind of tried to wade into Friedman's comments a bit and people were like, oh, you didn't include this. You didn't include this. And Kathy Young, a writer we both admire, and I know her personally, she had said, wait a minute. Uh, Les Liaisons Dangerous is not on this list and that is completely wrong. And I was like, I would read that book. Yeah. If it, you know, so maybe we can, maybe, well, maybe you and I could put together a little, um, a little, uh, reading list of like six books and then, um, and we'll, uh, we'll put it in one of the show notes and see if people are interested. We could do like a, a once a month little book thing. I would do that. Yeah. That'd be fun. I, I think it would be fun, especially because a lot of these books are pretty thin. I mean, you know, like I, <laughs> No, I'm serious. I mean, Brothers Karamazov is like a monster, but it's like yeah. Animal Farm you can read in a day. I I, I realized I had never read Fahrenheit 451. I was embarrassed about it. And one day I was like, okay, why don't you just read Fahrenheit 451? And so I did. I read it in two days and I loved it. And it began this like, like love affair I had with Ray Bradbury last year. And I just, I read all of these short stories by him. I thought they were tremendous. He's just a, he's a really interesting thinker, but he's actually like a, like a facile and not facile. I mean, like, like an, a cat, like it's, it, the, the, his prose is easy to read and it's also beautiful. And so that's a really interesting balance. Um, I just, I just loved him. So anyway, but like 1984, um, it's so, it's so thin and the, the stranger by Camus, a lot of them. Oh, the, I love that. I, I've, I've never read, read that. it. I've read it like three times that you could read in two hours. It's, yeah, I like, love that book. So I, many of these books that I've never read. I, yeah. Somebody was talking about the screw tape letters the other day. And I was like, that sounds really interesting. And I, I actually did read that in ninth grade. But I mean, like, I didn't know, like, the ideas of it, it's morality or whatever. I had no idea. Okay, so... um so I, I don't I, I guess Friedman is going to be doing the reading. I guess he's going to be sharing it with people. It's not just him. I, I mean, I assume he was kind of being generous and being like, hi, here are these 20 books or whatever. Like, do people want to read along with me? I mean, I think that was it. It was just not him saying like, hello, hello, I'm going to read the classics. I mean, who cares? Why do you need to announce that? Right. Um, well, why but, does anybody need to announce anything on Twitter? Let's be honest. Well, if I look super hot in a picture, I, <laughs> Come I need on. to announce Come it. Come on. Come on. It would ha it could happen. It could. You One should, day. 
keep yeah. resolutions, gonna, Nancy. Listen, resolutions. I, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna try. I'm gonna do that this year. It's the year I'm gonna get there, Sarah. So I've um, got good filters now. I know. Yes, the, <laughs> the beauty filters. Um, okay. okay no, the, the, yeah. So you're right. So he he posted this as a kind of like beginning of the new year. I'm going to read a new book every week. You know, you can play along if you want. And it just like went and people were dragging him because the books were too basic. They were dragging him because it didn't have enough you know, people of color and alternate perspectives. There weren't enough women. Like, just, it was unbelievable. Now, the good news is, I guess people care about books. Or they say they do. I I mean, it's the new year. I'm going to do all these things. But no, people do. I mean, okay. So we almost were maybe not going to be able to tape because my Wi-Fi went down and the guy came yesterday, the um, repair guy, who was like super smart and fun and interesting and bright and was cute. I thought he was a handsome guy. He was probably like 50 or 60 or something, but he was like really just cool. We, we talked the whole time and he was talking about my article. We started, we just like, wow. not that he'd read it because I was, he's like, Oh, what do you do? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, as he was getting ready to leave, they were just so nice. They spectrum. They come when they say they fix your problem. And I said to him, do you read? And he's like, I love to read. I'm a huge reader. This is the freaking wi-fi cable repair guy like not a lot of people like like and i gave him you know what a lot of fucking harvard elites don't i gave him a copy of to the bridge of my my, and i signed it to christopher and told him that next time i would check that the button was on because one of my problems was that the button was but actually there were some other issues but anyway yeah people um I, i mean don't you love that i mean though okay let us let us be frank about it. I went to dinner with some old friends last night and a girl who I've known since grade school. She said, I really liked your article, Nancy. And I actually just sat and read it straight through as opposed to being constantly distracted because Mm. we are distracted. Let me check my phone. Let me check Twitter. I am in the habit now of taking long articles that I like and printing them so that I can go off and like my mom. Yes, because I'm old. But besides that, because well, first of all, they're really fun. To, you can then like go on the subway and read an article or you can read yeah. them on the plane. But because then you're not distracted. A book, reading on a Kindle, I think, well, I, I can't do it. I don't like it. But um, reading, we are distracted. We're so easily distracted. There's so many other things to do. Yeah. So to find that people really do want to read books, is it's it's beautiful. I mean, it's, a, it's just like the biggest feast. I mean, for me. Well, and the act of sustained attention. I remember reading someone say once, it might have been me. That, um, and no, I'm being serious now. I don't know if it was me or not. And, and that, you know, that sustained attention is an act of love. And oh, for sure. You for know, sure. we don't get enough of that. Like we don't give it to each other and we don't give it to ourselves. Um, one of the things that recommends a book is that you can't toggle away from it and get distracted and have all these sort of like incoming messages that that pull you away from the kind of long uninterrupted dream of the book and that's what's so beautiful about it i mean i have a hard time falling into a book but when i get into a book i'm just i'm so happy um I, the sustained attention and then we'll move on to another topic i was very very grateful that there were no cell phones when my daughter was born because i nursed her yeah. um for the first 6 months and i i looked into her eyes 
you know, mm-hmm. that's what we did. And I mean, sometimes I ate and dropped food on her head, but you know, you are, you are doing this, you're doing mm-hmm. one thing. I mean, you would be talking to someone, but mm-hmm. well, and I guess I did occasionally read a book, but I was mm-hmm. not playing around on my phone and that I'm really, I'm really, because I probably would have. And I'm just grateful. Well, that's so interesting because I think I hear from mothers all the time that are like, oh my God, what would I do without an iPhone? Because you're stuck there and oh, it's you so have a beautiful. different perspective. You just fall right into those baby eyeballs. Oh my goodness. Um, Don't even tell yeah. me about it. Okay. So um, we had a, we had a Titan uh, in our field or an adjacent field um, die last week. Um, do we want to talk a little bit about Barbara Walters? Barbara Walters, at the age of 93, died television's first co-anchor of the Today Show, first female news anchor of a nightly news show. I knew her because in the 80s, she would do these celebrity interviews, and they were Mm -hmm. always programmed around the Oscars. She did this for like 30 years. It was like the biggest night of television was like she was like the the red carpet rolling into that big night would be these interviews that she would do. Um, what 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 do you think of Barbara Walters? What did you think of her? So to me, she was just it. It was someone that was always there, right? Yes, you, like you exactly. never, you never had to know who she was or think she was. I mean, you were young. It's just like it's she was a fixture, and um, I don't, I didn't have a particular feeling about her one way or the other, except to think she was a fixture that did these like when there was going to be a, a celebrity interview, whether it was a movie star, or whether it was like a politician in the hot seat or Monica Lewinsky, she was the person that did it. It was like axiomatic. Like that's how it, that's who it's going to be. But I was, um, when I was reading um, some obituary or some, some memories of her, one of the things I was reading is that she would ask people questions that like you and I would not. Like yes. I'm, I'm trying to talk to people and this and that. She apparently, and I think I'm getting the exact verbiage wrong, so forgive me. But apparently when she was um, interviewing Monica Lewinsky, she's oh, like- Oh, I watched this. So I have the exact verbiage because okay, I watched say it. this interview. Say it and then I'll make my comment. So this is how she began the interview. I don't know what, exactly where you were going to go, but this okay. is the launch of the interview. Monica Lewinsky. It says- she says, Monica, you've been described as a bimbo, a stalker, a seductress. Describe yourself. That's a pretty damn good opening. That is not what I was going to say. Apparently, she at one point said something like, so you showed your thong to the president. Like, why did you do this? Don't you have any self-esteem? I mean, something. Yeah, so- she did. I, so- that's another one that I have. She says, don't you have any self-respect? I mean, I actually was, I, I found myself deeply uncomfortable with this interview. Right. So, but let me just, I want to finish one thought and I wonder, and I wonder your, your thoughts on my thought. Um, you know, we were also, let's just stay on the Lewinsky story for a second, which is way more complicated. And there's actually a great podcast about it that came out a couple of years ago. I'm going to remember it about Linda Tripp and different things, but in any slow case, burn? yes, the slow burn podcast. Yeah, about. Oh, man, it was good. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I think it was 2018 because I think, no, whatever. I was in San Francisco and I lived it. Not important. Um, I think we were all so involved in that Lewinsky story. And, you know, some people had opinions or I think she was almost sort of acting as a surrogate yeah. 
aunt or mother yeah. figure to do some scoldiness. Like yeah. we would let we would let Barbara Walters do the fawning for us, do the scolding for us. Not that we necessarily felt that way, but I think the public was sort of uh, comfortable outsourcing that to her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think you've done a good job of identifying her role. I mean, I think I think at some point she became the person that would say the things that that it seemed like the public's collective consciousness was calling for. Yep. And yep. so, you know, she would ask these world leaders, you know, questions that were very blunt. Um I watched an interview with Trump and she said, "Are you a bigot?" And he was like, he, his response is hilarious. He's like, not at all. I'm probably the least of anyone you've met. Yeah. Which, always the least or the most. Always. Which gets to my problem with this approach. I actually, there may be a collective release of hearing somebody ask this question. I don't think the answers are any good. Oh, you're, I, you know, for sure. For sure. When you, like, even when she asks Monica, when she does that whole windup of like, You've been called a bimbo, stalker, or whatever. You know, describe yourself. It's you could Wait. argue that it's generous, but who the fuck wants to describe themselves? And Monica is like, um, I'm very loving, and it's like, oh, you know, boy. it's painful. You know, it's like that's not a good setup for her. And I, th I think watching some of her interviews, which I did over the last couple of days, I was reminded of just why I don't like television as a as a medium of of connection because it, it has to be so economic. It has to be so compact and you have to hit so hard that it doesn't have space for what I think these interviews really should or could be, which is the kind of thing you hear on these longer podcasts where you're kind of getting to like settle into someone's skin. I mean, I think Terry Gross does this a little bit better in like an hour long segment. Um, but, you know, these television interviews are like they're all about like you got to go for the ratings and it's going to be really high stakes and you got to ask the killer question and so I, I didn't and they they don't they don't tilt toward understanding i think they tilt towards like you said scolding or i'm just going to ask what everybody else is asking um cuz i have to and and i by the way i admire her for having the courage to ask these questions i don't mean to be dogging barbara walters so much as to say that this kind of journalism is not the kind i wanted to do this is a mike wallace style of journalism yes and yes. i admire the hell out of mike wallace and i never want to be that kind of person i don't want people to leave interviews with me feeling like i just got dragged through the mud and i hate and i wish i'd never said yes to that interview and that may make him a better kind of interviewer than me, but I'm different. You know, like I want a different kind of communication. Um, I'm not trying to nail world leaders on certain ideas, you know, and, and Barbara Walters had that Mike Wallace style with this feminine softness. And so she could really empathize with people. And eventually in her career, she became known for being the interviewer that would make people cry. Do you remember that? No. Yeah, that was like the big thing about the celebrity interviews is she would ask about your mom that died or she would ask about the husband, you know, and then the celebrity would start to cry and, you know, it would, it would get to where like they'd start to cry and they'd be like, Barbara, I told myself I wasn't going to do this. And she'd be like, well, you know, and, and that was her thing in the 80s and 90s. 
Um, I'm sorry I have to say this, but I, I actually thought it was sort of entertaining. The the one uh, the one name for not Monica Lewinsky that you didn't cite was the portly pepper pot. Do you remember? That was what somebody gave her. That I name. don't think it's funny. No, I, I okay. It's not. Do you think it's funny? It's okay. It's no, okay. I think it's it's not. I thought it was um, kind of zingy. I mean, it was such an overheated environment when this was going on. I mean, I remember this as I'm I'm sure you do to a certain extent when the whole Monica Lewinsky thing was going on and people were saying terrible, slanderous, horrible things. I just thought in in the vein of like the horribleness, the the portly pepper pot was kind of zingy. (laughs) Sorry. I mean, when you watch that interview, it's wild how long they spend talking about Monica's weight. I mean, it's it's really just like, wow, we're in a different world. You know, like you and I have had some conversations about about American weight and and, you know, I'm trying to eat healthier and um, we'll talk about that more in the bonus episode. But like I came of age in the 90s and the aughts and you really get a sense of that environment being very different because it's just like, Monica, you have struggled with your weight all your life. Monica. Why yeah, do you struggle so much with your weight? Monica, yeah. people have called you fat. What do you say to that? You know, I mean, it's just, it goes on and on and on. And, you know, just that like the collective American bafflement that the president of the United States had let a woman that is conventionally pretty, I mean, like she is sure. conventionally very pretty, that has a few extra pounds suck his yin yang. People were just baffled by it. And of course, now we emerge into this world where it's like guys want thick women and Kim Kardashian and the curves and the oomph and the whatever. That's interesting because that's kind of one of the next things that we're going to talk about. But let's uh, let's just a little more with Barbara Walters. So Cindy Adams is a columnist uh, with the New York Post and other places. I, I think Cindy Columnist has been a, a Cindy column- Adams. You Cindy call her Adams. Cindy Columnist. Oh, Cindy Columnist. Cindy Adams for, has been a columnist, I think, for longer than I've been alive. So yeah. basically since the dinosaurs roamed the earth. Right. But she wrote a... Um, a remembrance of her friend Barbara Walters that was in the paper yesterday, and I read it. And it was, um, first of all, it was moving. It was funny. Yeah. It was informational. But, um, I mean, they were also like the things that they did were kind of crazy and how they kind of back of the envelope came up with the show, The View, and the traveling that they did and and the way that they would like kind of like embarrass people on purpose and the money they spent and the food they it was ate. Very, and, it was very ladies who lunch, though, wasn't it? It was. And is, but the one thing that was just sad and I and actually it has to do also with um with Mike Wallace. So what we find out in this article, because Cindy Adams was apparently, was actually Barbara Walters' best friend. Okay. Like, yeah. not like, oh, she was really, they were best friends. And Barbara Walters did not leave her apartment except for emergency situations for the last six years of her life. As she declined and declined and declined and declined and basically, you know, was not functioning anymore. And the same thing happened apparently with Mike Wallace. Mm. You know, he he ducked from view and spent the last years of his life, um, I think, institutionalized and just mm. becoming less and less sentient. And I read this, I believe, in um, in an interesting article by a doctor that came out about eight years ago saying, listen, after 75 for me, don't intervene. 
because here's what happens. Like when you get to a certain age, uh, yeah. you're just, it's just, just anyway, it's, you know, nobody likes to think about this stuff, especially these people that were in our living rooms, you know, every night for decades. Well, um, when you live your life in front of a lens and you're accustomed to everybody seeing you and your collateral is your wit and your, you know, intelligence as well as how you look, then to watch that slip away would be particularly painful and you know i i don't i don't blame anyone who wants to sort of hide away i mean now that's sort of what we think richard simmons did as well although there's that's a whole other story i have no idea what happened with that i mean i sort of remember coming like I, like how often do i think about richard simmons never every day oh they, sorry well joe rogan and joe and i my yeah. boyfriend we talk about it a lot but um <laughs> i know you do but um, I mean, like all of a sudden it was like, where is he? Is he being held hostage? I'm like, what? Are we supposed to care about this? So just I let's just just for me, I don't maybe the listeners are interested too. what what's the deal? Did he get was he like being um, abused, taken advantage of by people? Well, he and- well, so he disappeared from public life. And so there were all these theories about why that was. And there was a podcast. It was really interesting. It was called Searching for Richard Simmons. I'm pretty sure. It was really great. And um, it kind of goes through the, uh, you know, if you don't know who Richard Simmons is, then you're really young. You're you're, gen, oh. you're a millennial or Jenna a Z, because if you are older than that, you know exactly who he is because he was a ubiquitous fitness guru that was who always showing it? up on all the talk, show hosts, talk shows and television and all that. And he's also very um, original looking. Let's put it that way. I thought you were going to say flaming. No, no, I, 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 maybe he was that. No, he was very original looking, like not particularly in shape, dressed no, sort of like. No, he was too in shape. He was in was shape. He? What are you talking about? He always looked kind of roly poly. He was no. dressed like where, where's Waldo? He, he was, he was in shape. He was a petite man. Um, he wore these tiny little shorts and he had this spray of hair. He was kind of balding. Um, he wasn't any like looker. But I think he was always in shape. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, he disappeared from public life and there was a lot of mystery around it. And th- one of the theories was that he had been held hostage by his ha- uh, housekeeper, which is bizarre. And another one of the theories is that he was transitioning, kind of like um, uh, Bruce Jenner had done when he became Caitlyn Jenner. Oh, I didn't then, know there was. I didn't know there was a disappearance there. And I, then I mean, another it, it, one of the theories, I think probably the most popular theory, is that he's gained a bunch of weight and didn't want people to know. And so, you know, there's all this mystery, and and we just don't know the answer to it. And I don't have any theories. But the thing is, is that like people that live their lives in front of the camera, it really does a number on you. I can only imagine, and the kind of warp that you have. Like it's hard to get old as a normal person. But if you have that particular warp around, you know, like the hypervigilance around your vanity that that is required of being on camera, it just has got to be like a really rough road to 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 let that slide. So so, I, you know, so I didn't know that Barbara Walters uh, had lived her life in seclusion for the last six years. Um, I did enjoy dipping back into her archives from the 60s. Um, and watching some of her early videos on today, you know, I did not realize she had gone undercover as a Playboy bunny before Gloria Steinem did. There we go. And she uh. has this amazing video uh, of her time learning to be a Playboy bunny. She looks banging. She was very <laughs> thin. She, I mean, she looks great. 
And, you know, she's going through the manual and it's all this like, don't chew gum and don't drink alcohol. I really hadn't appreciated how much the bunny manual was like the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders manual, which I spent a lot of time, you know, looking at for for my own podcast. They're, They're very, very similar, which is so it's almost like the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders were the Playboy bunnies that were grown in Texas soil instead of on the coast, you know? And, um, and so, you know, she does that. There's this long involved sequence on her learning the bunny dip, which is this special way that you lean over. And I mean, it's just such an interesting thing because she does this in 62. Gloria Steinem does her expose for Esquire in 63. And they both basically did the same thing, which is that they were hot young journalists who pretended to be bunnies. Now, of course, uh, I shouldn't say the same thing. Uh, Barbara Walters had cameras on her. She was not undercover. Gloria Steinem was. Um, but Barbara Walters' segment is all sort of like, isn't this kind of fun and interesting? And, you know, and, and all the girls are sort of having a great time and look at this. And then Gloria Steinem's is like, isn't it such an oppression to be a sex object in this way? And why would anybody want to do this? And how degrading it is. And that really, for me, gets at like one of the core dilemmas and splits of modern feminism, which is, you know, whether like a lot of times you'll hear it reduced to whether or not like sex appeal or sex is empowering um, or degrade. Like being a sex object, is that empowering or is that degrading? Um, You know, people always speak about these things in binaries, you know, but, um, but really like the erotic power and seductive power of the female is, I think one of our, I mean, it's one of the like aces in our, in our, in our hand, in our, in our cards. And, you know, you don't have to play it. Uh, and you don't, you may not want to play it, but if you do play it, I mean, Hey, good for you. I mean, one of the digs that 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 some of her male cohorts made of, of Barbara Walters was that she would use her feminine wiles. And it's like, good, she's got them. This is so interesting. So when this, again, this repairman was here yesterday and he's like, whoa, because he saw the podcasting studio. I was like, oh, we do podcasts. I have one. He's like, what's the name of your podcast? I said, oh, it's called Smoke Him If You Got Him. He's like, oh, we used to say that in the military all the time. And it is a military phrase. Yes. And he, from, from him, he's like, well, we would just go outside like, hey, smoke him if you got him. We got five minutes here. We got to smoke him. And I was like, well, I, I yes. And But an alternate sort of meaning for it is like, use what you have, right? Use yeah. what you have. So you're talking about that ace. I had a friend here the other night extremely good chef. His restaurant is a sushi restaurant here called Rosella. It's been like the toast of the town. And um, I was talking exactly about this, how uh, years ago, an editor of mine at the LA Weekly and, and a dear friend of mine, a guy said to me, and I may have said this on the podcast before, he's like, do you feel that there are stories you haven't gotten because you're not a man? And I said, well, Tom, I wouldn't know. Like, I never had someone yeah. say to me, well, I really would have sent you out there, but you're not a dude. Totally. But I said, I will tell you for sure that I there are stories I've gotten, I believe, because I am a woman. And also, maybe it's my personality or what people want to talk to me about their stories. And that's great. And I said to Jeff, I said, and also being attractive does not hurt. Look, I, I, I didn't make the rules, right? But it happens. And he you said, must have been using the filters with him. Yeah, I had I had my beauty filter, and so you couldn't actually see me. It was like a, a hard time today. Picture you know, of I like think you're beautiful. Um, um, and he said he actually said to me, "I'm glad you said that." He said, "I'm glad you said that because it is a thing. 
And I was oh, like, I know, yeah. no, I know you and I've talked about this before. Of like course, the print privilege thing. thing is like yeah. such the unspoken um you're not supposed to talk about it, right? Nah, if you if you if you acknowledge, and you're not supposed to own it either. You're not supposed right. to own it. That's one of the cruelest things we do to women is that we tell them that they all are beautiful, but if they try to say that they're beautiful, we're like, "What a stuck up bitch!" Like so that that sorry. that is messed up. We kind we kind of have naturally segued yes. into our next section here. So I I actually didn't know about this until you sent me the link. Except I had someone had. DM'd us? Yeah. Are you getting so, an echo? Go ahead. Yeah. Like- so we were messaged on Twitter by one of our listeners. And we thank her. Um, and it was a tweet from a, a doctor from Australia who had participated in a Vice magazine panel on feminism. And it had recently aired. And when it came out, she had the doctor, who was one of like nine people on a panel, had posted her own response to the panel. And she had said, no other feminism panel has been so openly hostile and unhelpful as this one. As far as discussions go, this was painfully regressive. So I don't know how you are built, but the way I'm built is as soon as I read that, I'm like, click. Like, I'm going to watch the shit out of that. Like, I'm going to go immediately to that video and I'm going to watch it, which is what I did last night. And so it's an hour long. It's uh, one of these things where Vice Magazine, uh, the moderator is a woman named Liz Landers. She has, you know, brought together nine women from diverse backgrounds, diverse political ideologies. um, And the idea is that they're going to have a conversation about feminism and the discussion. I mean, but she barely she barely asks any questions because this is like herding wild cats. But, you know, I – are you getting an echo? Do you hear an echo from me or sound okay? No, no? I don't hear okay. it. Okay. All right. Um, so I was not anticipating, like, loving this. I was like, okay, oh, you're going to sit and you're going to talk to these women and they're going to yell at each other. I actually found it fascinating. Yeah, I watched it, is fascinating. it this morning. And I thought several of the women, including the trans woman, did not There's want two. To- There's two trans women. Was that was the heavy set one also trans? Yeah. Okay, I thought so, but I wasn't sure. She she they didn't had bring one it. trans woman that was pro life, which was fascinating. I mean, yeah. really, like the diversity that they had on this panel was no joke. Yeah, like and normally people say diverse and they mean just racial diversity, but they had like true, like ideological all diversity, and that was part of the problem. Is that these these women went crossways really fast. And yet some of them were really thoughtful. I oh, found some a lot of them, them were. incredibly thoughtful, but I found I found the 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 very um the tiny little trans gal with the cool hair. I found her to be pretty dis, pretty dismissive. Uh and then at the end it's like, well, some people are just full of misinformation. I was like, wow, that's really not that that was so I was like, are you serious? Did you spend an hour here with these people and your decision because and she was calling, it's like, you know, no, the Australian doctors like, we disagree. This is not because I disagree with you. I am not full of misinformation. I thought that was not, I thought that was small minded of her, of of the one named Eli. Then there was the one in the front who had sort of like coins on her shirt. She was, she had a few good points, but she also was kind of really obnoxious and like 
cackling laughter at people not like oh, I'm laughing. Yes, this was uh Yelda Ali from New York. I mean, she wasn't laughing with them. It was it was to let me laugh super loud so that I'm drowning you out while you talk. And well, I thought doesn't wow. she say after doesn't she say after the the conversation wraps, she's like, I was just tone policed by a white woman on camera. That was her whole deal. There was also, you know, we definitely at the beginning, I think they chilled out a bit. It was like, okay, no, anything you have to say, because you're not disabled like me. They had a just they had a woman that had no legs who was actually she she kind of bummed me out at the beginning because she was so dismissive of the athlete. Um, like in any in any event. But she kind of she sort of made more sense at the end. But everything, like they couldn't have a conversation about men and women and feminism. That was unallowed. It had to be through my lens. So anything that anybody was saying on the panel, the woman who was disabled, it's like, well, it doesn't matter because you're not looking through my lens. It's disabled. It's like, okay, but my lens matters too. You know, my lens matters too. And we can't all just say, well, we're going to now take into account every single human's experience as a feminist and mine will be discounted if I don't include every, it's, it was, it so was maddening. Where, so this is where the intersectional um, ideology starts to fracture a group as opposed to bringing it together because everyone was splintered along their specific identities and, and in a sort of tug of war over who was more of a victim. And it was very frustrating. I want to, I want to tell the listeners who might be confused right now, like, what were they talking about? So like the first question was like, is feminism dead? Which is already, that's a loaded question. Like, sure. like feminism's not on really good footing if that's the first question. Right. And the the answers were about split. Yeah. Um, and they were split in ways that you might not expect. Like there were women that, that identified as feminists that were like, yeah, you know, that Sheryl Sandberg, you know, lean in feminism is dead and good riddance, you know, because it was a white, it was white woman's, um, you know, privilege or whatever. And then there was this really interesting woman. You've you've referred to her as the athlete. Her name was Pearl Davis. She was a tall, redhead, no makeup, kind of, you know, unadorned woman uh, from Illinois. She turns out to be a YouTuber. I looked some of these people up because they actually don't tell you who these people are. No, not at all. Not and, you, and I didn't yeah. like that, but it was interesting yeah. because it put them all on the same footing. And you didn't really know where they were coming from. Like, is this one a big deal? Like, one of these people has 50,000 followers on Twitter. One has a thousand, you know, like, but we didn't know that. They're all just women. And so this woman, Pearl Davis, um, she was the most vocal opponent of feminism. She really just didn't like it. She saw this as being something of, you know, an unnecessary way to look at the world that seemed to demand special privileges. By the end of the discussion, she told the camera she thought feminism was a hate group. Um, yeah. But but she was, for being as provocative as she was, she was actually pretty even keeled. Yes. Um, and one of the interesting things that happened was that she said, I just don't think there's any barriers left for women. And and there's a couple roars around the group. And so she gets into it with one of the women. And and she keeps saying to every woman that challenges her, what's your barrier? What's your barrier? And 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 it's either, well, my barrier is I'm in a wheelchair. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm talking about women, not you specifically. Right. Or it's, I can't even deal with, I, it's not my job to educate you. I can't deal with this. If you don't know what the barriers are. 
you know, and that discourse, which is either let me take the question that you just asked and turn it so that it's only specifically about me and my own victimhood, or let me not address it and instead just say that it's such a stupid question, I can't even, I can't even engage with it, is why I think feminism might be dead, if it is in fact. I mean, I actually think feminism is an ongoing project that shapeshifts over time. It's the, it's the long story of women's changing place in the world. It is both a political movement and an attitude. I mean, it's, you know, whatever, whatever. But it, it's, it's, it shapeshifts, right? But the movement itself, the political movement, one of the reasons that it's it's coughing dust right now is because of these two modes of engaging. I I agree with, with everything you said. I found her to be, um, I mean, obviously, when she starts talking about the fact this is the same woman, she's a semi-pro athlete, basketball player and volleyball player. And one of the questions the moderator asked was, how do you feel about trans athletes in sports? And she said, well, I can really answer this. She's like, we're, you know, she had said at the beginning, she was saying, just as you're saying, like, what are your barriers? What are your barriers to people? And people were either coming back to her or they were saying it's my disability or I grew up in this particular way or it's class or it's color. And she's like, okay, but what about just in women in general? In any case, she said, well, you know, professional women athletes, are our share, our market share and our opportunities are so small to begin with. And someone comes back and is like, well, why don't you just fight harder for it? Like she'd been saying, like, why are you accepting that? You didn't have barriers. Any, I thought you didn't have any yeah. barriers. What are your barriers? But she did. She said, you know, listen, and she's like, look, I'm six feet tall. And if I'm out there playing against a male athlete, basketball player, who's even my height, I'm going to get boxed out. And this is what drove me. And first of all, this is true. Okay, men have more muscle mass. They tend to be taller. They're faster. It's just, it's a fact, okay? I know people want to- Some men. Hashtag some some men. men. Some men. But in the main, men happen to be, again, my friend Jeff, the one, the sushi chef who was here the other night, we're having this conversation about something. He's like 6'3", 220. Like if there was a physical altercation or if we had to get out on the basketball court, that, there's no way I'm not going to be able to do anything out there. Um, but anyway, the woman, Eli, who's a trans gal, who's quite petite, um, she she's just very came. Pretty. She's very pretty, very attractive. Yeah. And actually, I, I didn't know she was trans. No, she totally uh, like I. Wow. I'm yeah. um, sorry. I'm knocking over equipment here in the studio. Um, uh, but she came back hard and she's like, no. Uh, no, not true at all. You know, there are studies that say it has nothing to do with that. And, you know, men, and if there were, if this was true, then you'd have like every well, single female sport would be taken over by trans women. And I thought, can't you just say, you know, there's a little bit of a point here. I might not like it. I might think you're denying opportunities to trans people. But then she she went on and she's like, and you know, if you don't let them participate in sports, then you don't let them use the bathroom. Then you don't let them have elected office. Then you don't this. Like she just went all the way with it. And all the woman was saying is like, I just want to be able to play the sport that I've been doing for like decades without immediately being beaten at the last minute, like Aaliyah Thomas. So anyway, there might not be a more contentious issue in feminism than trans issues right now. And to be fair to Eli, who I think did uh, have a little bit of a viper's bite with that, I actually thought she was making an interesting point that, you know, look, all athletes, like in every 
athletic endeavor, there is biological difference and unfair advantage. If you are a white guy that's going to have to run against an an Ethiopian, that Ethiopian is going some to... Some Ethiopians. Hashtag some <laughs> Ethiopians, which is going to take off on Twitter later today. Um, they're probably always going to win. There's always going to be an unfair advantage. And, you know, I thought I didn't think she made the points really great, but but I actually am sympathetic to that. I just heard somebody make that on a Lex Friedman podcast. Actually, it was an interesting conversation with the um, the the figure Omni Destiny, who was making an argument for and against trans um, women competing against women. And, And I found it slightly persuasive, this idea of like, yeah, you know what? It's not realistic that they're going to get their own category. They need to be somewhere. There's just going to be like, we as a species are sort of evolving into something different. And this is just going to be a biological advantage that some people have. For whatever reason, my mind clicked in that moment. I didn't think Eli uh, made that point very well. Um, But, you know, it was, but this is what is like the the things that are at stake in these conversations with these women, it's like their very identity is being like torn from their teeth. Like they, they were just, it was so intense. And you mentioned uh, Mindy Lind, who was the woman on the front left. She was a woman in the wheelchair. Yep. Yep. And who was, you know, a little bit dismissive. And she also got on my bad side early on, but I thought she was, you know, she was, smart and made some good points. And, um, but I actually went to her Instagram to look and see who she was. And I found she had posted this, um, this link to this video with the following. I did want to acknowledge the violence brought to my trans and non-white counterparts during this whole thing as of course, a direct result of inviting trolls who are currently paid for their violence to be on a panel of opinions. Wait, that what? was what she said about the vice panel. So she's saying that there were several members there that were paid to be there and she was not? No, she's saying that some of the people that were invited are uh, paid to have trollish opinions. I think she's referring to both Dr. Sidney Watson, who is uh, a right-wing television personality who's on Blaze Television, which is based out of Dallas. It's 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 Glenn, what's his name's yeah. TV show? Yeah. And uh, what the hell is his name? Glenn Beck. Greenwald? No. Glenn Beck. Glenn yeah, Beck. Sorry. I was like, okay, yeah, and Glenn Beck. Pearl Lind, the uh, athlete, is also a YouTuber that uh, sort of monetizes this particular anti-feminist view of well, the world. So okay, that's what so- she's talking about. And she's calling them both specifically, I believe, trolls who were invited in order to kind of stir up controversy. And I think that's unfair because, you know, for instance, Eli, uh, the the woman that we talked about that was so well-spoken and pretty, you know, is a trans activist who has tons of followers on Twitter and has also monetized her point of view. You know, she's got a Wikipedia page. Well, but that that's, I mean, this is how... <laughs> This is how it has to be. No, because they're on the wrong side. I mean, all of these people were invited. And you're going to presume that the other people that were invited, they knew who was coming. And you decide who to participate. They, this is because 
This is because they she feels the gal in the wheelchair, Mindy, is that her name? Mindy? Mm-hmm. Mindy. Um, feels that, you know, they have the wrong opinions. It's just like Eli said, like, oh, I didn't realize I'd be dealing with these people who have misinformation. It's like, no, they have a different opinion than you have. It doesn't make you right. It doesn't make them right. And I, I have to say, as someone who is not particularly interested in panels, number one, unless it's yeah. I know, a little more intellectual, and certainly not in watching a a, 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 a discussion or debate about feminism. Like, this is not something that I would have sought out or thought I would have enjoyed. You told me I was, I got home late last night. I tried to watch it. I fell asleep. I did watch it this morning. I actually was pretty engaged. And I thought that, and I will tell you before we kind of go on to our next part, there was a gal that sat in the front. She, um, I don't know if she was Puerto Rican or light skinned black. She had the very, very long sort of flowing, uh, dark kind of dark brown hair. I actually found myself agreeing with her almost more than anybody else. I don't know her name. But yeah. at one point, um, the woman next to her, who was a black gal. Yeah, she's from Texas. Talk- she's from Houston. Was talking about how when she grew up, I'm going to get I'm going to get all choked up when she was growing up. She's like, I just I never thought that I was pretty or allowed to be pretty. And this woman next to her, she put her hand out and put her hand on her shoulder. It was a very quick moment. And I got so choked up because these are people that basically are kind of like disagreeing like 30 seconds before. And yet at this one moment, it was like, oh, guess what? We are the same because I know exactly how you feel right now. And it was so tender. And that for me was a very moving part of 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 why we're there i was very i was pretty engaged it's so funny that you were moved by that moment because i was annoyed by it oh wow oh sarah that's that is so really i thought i saw it as so genuine like yeah well i mean it probably is genuine but it's also like it's fascinating to me that in the girl world or the woman world or whatever you can call each other a bigot and you can say all this shit about each other. But if someone says they're not beautiful, it's like, oh, honey. And it's like, I mm-hmm. wish women would get over it. Like some women aren't beautiful and fucking like good. Like it's, it, you know what? It's a relief not to worry. You know how much shit I put on my face trying to say beautiful? You know how many hours I've spent like worrying about this? You know how many selfies I take? It's ridiculous. It's pathetic. You know, if you're not beautiful, own it. There are a lot of beautiful, non-beautiful women change history, okay? And this idea that we, oh, everyone has to be beautiful and, oh, baby, I'm so honey, I'm sorry. You know, just fuck it. No. Well, I'm not going to argue with that there. That was good. I'm going to cut, I'm going to make you a little audiogram out of that, girl. No, don't tell anybody on Twitter. I just said that. (laughs) They'll never find out otherwise. Um, between us and their listeners. Can I make okay, one okay, more okay, point? Okay, okay. Can I, wait, can, yes. I make, can I make one more point about uh, this? As many points as you like. You're so sweet to me. Um, I wanted to consider this kind of like, you, I'm glad you liked it and I liked it too. It was fascinating. And I, and I really give Vice News props. I'm sure they're getting a hard time for this, but I give them props for, for putting together a less ordinary panel on feminism for and sure, one that actually sure. really did dig into the divisions there. And it was really, really meaty. But I want to compare that, you know, little circular firing squad. <laughs> to what's going on in Iran? This is a story that you and I did not talk about in our year-end wrap. And one of our listeners mentioned it in the comments. And I was so glad because one of the 
the amazing stories of last year was the bravery of the Iranian women that were trying to throw off the mantle of actual oppression. And, and you know, it's it was a stirring and amazing story and a sad one because demonstrators are starting to get killed. And, you know, like, I don't even know. They're getting hanged. Their demonstrators are getting hanged. Like I read about one today, a man, because, of course, these women also and bless them. I mean, the Iranian soccer team would not, you know, would not sing their national anthem when they were playing in the World Cup. And they have a lot of male allies. And I know of at least least two that have been hung. This is this is. Yeah. And, and, this and is, when do you when do you hear about this? I mean, it is not being covered in, no, in I, my I, world. OK, it is being covered. It is being covered, but it's not being argued about on Twitter. People aren't talking about it like it's not in the national consciousness. People aren't talking about it. I you know. OK, so this is just my perspective here and the stuff that I read. I think for a, for several months, people were talking about it and were focusing on it every day. Yes. However, just like every other movement, just like when the war in Ukraine or when we're having a presidential election, like it's burns so hot and so fast. And then people just sort of like their attention gets swayed someplace else. So I think people are still writing about it. And I'm, and I'm sure in, uh, you know, in national publications and in publications in, in, in other parts of the world, you know, maybe it's something that maybe it's something that we have to be paying attention to more. And that, well, and that pushes me out. I mean, you know, maybe what I want to say is that I am, you know, closer, more closely aligned with the feminist discourse because of my past, um, you know, having edited some of those big thinkers and, um, worked in that world. I don't see them talking about it. I don't listen. I don't hear podcasts talking about it. And, you know, I did hear like, um, I mean, I think, I think Sarah Hader on, on a special place in hell has, she did. has talked about that she a little did. bit. And, and I was really glad to hear her do that because, you know, I do want to hear like a Muslim woman, um, speak about this. And, and I know I wanted to bring it up on our podcast and like a lot of other things, I didn't feel like I knew enough and, you know, couldn't quite find the right person to bring on and, and, and worried, frankly, that maybe that story didn't have the heat that other ones did. Um, cause it didn't seem like people were covering it. And I thought it was amazing. I mean, this is, this is historic. And, and I also think it just stands in such stark contrast to the kind of bullshit squabbles. Oh, a hundred percent. That 100%. are going on. No, in I, I, of course. This is a, this is a, this is a, this is forever. You look at what people, even like your friends, like, what are you worrying about? What are you talking about? It doesn't mean that we have to absorb and live and, you know, over empathize or completely like open up our, only think about that because then you will also drive yourself berserk. But yes, the inter the, the squabbles that people have about nothing when there are people literally being hung and killed because yeah. they are they don't want to cover their hair anymore is insane. And then people do need to to pay attention to what's important and to pay attention to life. I have a question for you, Sarah. Before we move on, I think you know what my question is. What's my question to you? How did I get this pretty? You know, Sarah, I, I don't, I feel like we don't want to default to just our looks all the time. I, we really, we really. <laughs> okay, okay, we, we, okay. I just, you asked me and I thought okay. that's what you wanted to okay. know. My, my question is, what is the name of this podcast? The name of this podcast is Blocked and Reported.
<laughs> oh, wait. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. The name of this podcast is The Fifth Column. That- no, no. I'm going to get this. The name of this podcast is A Special Place in Hell. No, it's not. The name of this podcast is Smoke Him If You Got Him. It is. It is. Guys, we're going we're gonna to move on to our bonus uh, section here. Stay with us. We're going to be talking about some interesting and maybe personal things. So um, thanks for joining us, Sarah. I'll see you in a minute. Bye. <laughs> 